podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. Very excited about today's episode. This is something I have wanted to do all offseason. Talk about offensive lines. I know that sounds super nerdy, but what can I say? I am what I am. Uh, very excited to have Cam Malore, previously of uh, Pro Football Focus, now of SB Nation, a good friend. Parker Fleming, Mr. Statsivor himself, uh, on the show. We are going to rank the Big 12 offensive lines. Now, understand, we did this on on Monday. We actually recorded this. Uh, since then, some news has come out that might have affected where we slotted certain teams. Kansas right tackle uh, Antoine Frazier, who is projected to probably be the starting right tackle for the Jayhawks, has entered the transfer portal as a grad transfer, so he's gone. So, I, I personally, and you'll find out, I feel good about where Kansas is based off of that, though I may have dropped them one spot. Not sure uh, Cam would, would stick with his pick. Uh, B, uh, Baylor, however, adding UCLA transfer tackle Jake Burton, right tackle, going to come in, be able to start right away for the Baylor Bears. Uh, it doesn't affect where I have them. I'm going to keep them right where they are based on that, but it certainly moves them closer to to the next spot up. Um, some big news. Big news this week of the offensive lines for the Big 12. Uh, I know that uh, OU had, uh, offensive line coach Will Biedenbaugh was talking to the media on Wednesday. He had some really some really great things to say. Look, just so you understand, like we all have OU number one, as we should, as anybody would. Uh, but it sounds like you know if if you if you buy into what uh, Biedenbaugh is saying, and, and as our good friend Keegan Renault noted, he's one of the more straightforward guys. There's reason to believe OU's offensive line could be even better than we thought they were going to be going into the season. So that's a big deal. Love offensive line talk. Very excited for today's episode. I hope you guys like this. A couple things of note before we get to that. Guys, the college football's here. The first game of the season is this Saturday. Forget ESPN's uh, tweet that says it starts in a week, which is ironic because they're actually showing this Saturday's game against Central Arkansas and Austin P on Saturday night on ESPN. I know it's an FCS game. I don't care. I'm going to watch it. You're going to watch it. We all know we are. So I said a lot to get excited for. And then, then then FBS games start the following week for Labor Day weekend. And I know it's not like, ooh, marquee games. I don't care. I, it, it, it feels like it's really going to happen. We've gotten to the point. It's time to just talk football as though it is going to happen because it feels like it's going to happen. I don't know how the season's going to go. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows... Uh, if when games will get canceled or postponed or delayed, but I don't care. We have football that's going to be on our televisions. I am very excited for that. Before we get to our interview, I don't know about you guys, but I always start my college football Saturday same way. Get my daughter up, have some breakfast with her. She likes yogurt. We like to eat cereal together. Uh, I'm a big Honey Nut Cheerios fan. We eat Cheerios. Cheerios are good, but I always make sure I have myself a cup of coffee. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a bit of a coffee snob. 
Like I, I, I'll drink Folgers. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. We have it at work, but I like something really good. And this year, I'm going to start my college football Saturdays with a cup of Lazy Fair coffee. Ethically sourced coffee beans from all over the world, roasted right in the heart of Big 12 country in DFW. They've got a variety of great flavors, including dark and light roasts. My favorite right now, the Cafecto Cubano Burnt Sugar Dried Fig. It's a rich blend. It's really, really good. But this is what I'm going to be drinking, and I want you guys to try it as well. They've also got a great coffee dry rub, which I'm going to be putting on some pork chops this weekend that I plan to grill and is great for whatever you want to grill on your college football Saturday. So I want you guys to try this for yourself. I think you're really going to like it. I really do. So visit LazyFairCoffee.com. It's L-A-Z-Y-F-A-I-R Coffee. Whatever you order, at checkout, enter the promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2, and get 10% off your order. Okay. By the way, if you live in the DFW area, you can get free delivery on your order. That is, that is that's perfect. Why not? Whole Bean Coffee delivered to you for free in DFW and delivered anywhere. So go to LazyFairCoffee.com, LazyFairCoffee, enter in the promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2, get 10% off your order. I think you guys are going to like this a lot. I really do. I drink this stuff. Yes, this is, this is a paid advertisement. Understand that. This is our first sponsor on the show, and I am so pumped to have them. And I want to make sure you guys understand something. I'm not going to advertise something on this show that I'm not going to use myself and enjoy. I'm just not going to do it. Okay. I mean it when I say it. This is coffee I drink. I know the guy that started this company. He is a great guy. They roast good beans. It's really good stuff. So go to lazyfaircoffee.com, buy yourself a bag, get 10% off, try it for yourself, and let me know what you think. You know, Hit us up on the Twitter DMs, at 1012podcast, T-E-N-1-2podcast. Let us know what you think, okay? I think it's great stuff. If you missed out, we had an Instagram Live on Wednesday night. I ranked Big 12 quarterbacks. You can see that post on our feed, but I also went ahead and did a live and explained my reasoning for them. The only place you can get that's on our Instagram account. That's at 1012pod. Go give us a follow there. Exclusive content. Instagram Lives every Wednesday all throughout football season, 7.30 at night, 7.30 p.m. Central Time. Generally, I'll have a guest every time. Didn't this week. It's still good stuff. So if you want to know why I have Brock Purdy over Sam Ellinger, why I have Seth Dagey down at 8, where Charlie Brewer is, go follow our Instagram account. All right? So get you some Lazy Fair Coffee. Go follow us on Twitter. Let us know how you like it. Go follow us on Instagram. Buckle up. Got a great, great episode for you right now. And let's get to it. Okay, so this is an episode I've been wanting to do all summer. And the Sunderbird being what it was and, you know, we got a kid. Uh, it's taken us this long to get to it, but I'm very excited. Today we are talking about the offensive lines in the Big 12. The position group, I think gets the least amount of of credit for how important that they are I, outside of quarterback to me offensive line is you have to have a good one even with the way offenses are run nowadays so i'm very excited to have two guests that one we've had on the show multiple times and always great and one that i'm very excited to have for the first time uh first up parker fleming stats of war himself uh parker welcome back to the show Thanks for thanks for having me. It's it's been a minute. I feel like we missed wires a little bit. I think the last time I was supposed to come on was actually the day you had your uh, had your most recent child because you texted me and were like, "Hey, I have to cancel tonight." Uh, and so yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, no, very. It again, we kept trying to do something, and uh, be it COVID or weird schedules or the fact that I've got a newborn here, uh, it just it took a while. But you know, better late than never. Better late than never. For sure. Um, also joining us for the very first time, very excited to have Cam Malore here on the show, formerly of PFF, now of SB Nation. Uh, Cam, welcome to the 1012. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Uh, it's been, you know, it's always a goal of mine to talk about my writings from a long time ago, but also whenever you rank a system or rank college football programs from 1 to 130, uh, that information stays with you no matter what you do. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about, the, you know, big 12 offensive lines for sure, especially the position group that does need as much love as possible. Yeah, I always think like even I think even kickers get more credit for when they do their job. 
Like you think of like those position groups or, or, or players where we don't talk about them unless they're doing a poor job. And when they're doing a great job, we, they just are non-existent. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like kickers. But then I stopped to think about it. No, even a kicker can get more credit for having like a game-winning field goal or, or just a beautiful punt. And offensive lines, like if they're doing a great job, no, it's crickets. But if they do anything wrong, everybody's on top of them and just ripping it apart. And I, I hate it. So I want to show some love for offensive lines today assuming your offensive line won't be ranked 10th by us as we rank them. Um, I don't know. Parker, as, as, as we're talking, I wanted to talk with you. You know, with the, the change in, in offenses we see more and more and more, do you think that offensive lines are more important now or, or less important than they used to be? Well, I think that, you know, as I mean, obviously as like football has progressed from three yards in a cloud of dust to basketball on grass, as it has in the big 12 in, in some way, shape or form, definitely different. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, putting the, the big guy who can just clog up the middle is less and less valuable. And so I think if not more important, it's at least become substantially more specialized, especially when you couple that with the fact that, you know, we're, we're seeing a little bit, especially in the big 12 of a resurgence of the run game and how, you know, you, you look at these run patch options, these really complicated blocking schemes that aren't just, Hey, take a step to the right and hit the first guy or find the Mike linebacker and knock him down. These really kind of like decision trees, these offensive linemen are having to make. So I think it is becoming more important just because they're being asked to do so much more as offense gets more and more complex. And as defensive talent becomes bigger and scarier, um, I, I think there's a non-zero element where, you know, the, the, how much good pass edge rushers and linemen, defensive linemen in the NFL are getting paid has kind of been trickling down um, by guys like Von Miller, kind of who are celebrity defensive linemen. We didn't always have, you know, there's always like a Reggie White or something around, but these guys are more and more that edge rush is getting paid a ton. And so the defensive line is attracting more talent, which also makes the offensive line job harder as well. So I think the combination of increased complexity and increased competition uh, really, really, emphasizes how important offensive linemen are today as, as athletes, not as just uh, bodies to take up space. I, I would agree. I would think that, you know, if you could look at from my time at PFF and when you try to study and, and put a quantitative number on the importance to it, if you wanted to rank it, obviously quarterback being number one, and then you flip to defense and you probably say coverage and pass rush. And we've seen that sort of argument all year or even sending back to last year. I think offensive lineman needs maybe some sort of quantitative number to it there to, to rank them. I think honestly, you can have a great quarterback, but if he has no time to run the ball or to pass the ball, excuse me, not every quarterback is Joe Burrow under pressure. Let's face it. There's no way, not every quarterback is Baker Mayfield under pressure that, that those are so unreliable year to year that even a good quarterback under pressure this past season could not be good this year. So I think that having a solid foundation you know, like Parker said, there's so many different variables too, but uh, having returning guys at college football is so unique, so uncommon. And so I think that, yes, I would say in college football, especially this season going forward too, with the current restrictions and COVID and no ability to practice this off season this year, especially, but I do think that it's growing uh, in importance for sure to have solid offensive line play, not just the guy that stands there. and plug. I think it's an interesting point you bring up too, about how, like development for offensive line is so important. And so I think about, we'll get into specifics, so I don't want to go on the rabbit trail, but somebody like Kansas State, who's technically bringing back zero starting linemen from last year, and they pride themselves on their off-season development, being able to kind of create these guys who can, who can come in after two years of weightlifting and eating and working out and become these great linemen. And they more or less have of, of those formalized activities all off-season. So I think it, it also heightens the importance of returning production just because development has been hampered um, so much with this weird offseason. Yeah, it's going to be a super unique year in terms of, you know, I've, I've looked at offensive lines from across the country and there are certain conferences that return a lot. And then you have certain conferences like the Big 12 or some of the star players, uh, you know, well, again, we'll get into it. Like you said, it's safe for the top two uh, that are losing a lot of even maybe their best players from their offensive lines last year too. So especially this year for multiple reasons, but when you look at some of these lower teams in terms of the rankings of offensive line, I think you look and you see, well, who's coming back and where are they coming back? And then where did they play last year? And then how well did they play? So let's just jump in. Um, let's start at number one and we'll work our way down. I know you're supposed to go backwards 10 to one because they're right by whatever. Um, mostly because I think number one is going to be the most obvious, maybe number one in 10. Um, 
where does every who does everybody have as number one? I, I have Oklahoma. I feel like that's probably going to be a consensus. But but where do you guys have or which offensive line do you have as number one? I'll, I'll jump in and I agree 100% with Oklahoma. When you return as many players and even with Swenson, I believe is left tackle or at least penciled in from what I've seen. And I haven't done too much research or as much as you guys probably have. But yeah, I mean, anytime you have Creed Humphrey manning the, the middle of your line, you, you got to be up at least in the top two and then go from there. Yeah, uh, accounting for, uh, you know, some movement around, I have Oklahoma leading the league in, in 98% returning production on offensive line or just returning starts on offensive line. Um, I think also this is probably the, the point to like say my note about data and how measuring offensive lines is hard and returning production is just a proxy for measuring how good an offensive line is going to be because it's so caught up with a lot like a running back. An offensive line is only as good as uh, – his his scheme and how he's used and what he's asked to do and the position he's put in um and so i think the combination of returning starters and then also oklahoma having perhaps the best offense in the country uh one of the best offensive minds at football deploying them uh just sets them far and away as the best yeah no it's uh, returning production i think if you already know you have a good one and i know use offensive line wasn't great all the time last year but it was still a solid offensive line as we as we've mentioned you know having this kind of returning production is big in a season where you didn't get a lot of time to develop and prepare this off season. Um, and from what I see, not only do you have all five starters from last year back, but um, it sounds like Swinson might still be the starting left tackle. He wasn't awesome last year. I've seen uh, that the, uh, freshman Stacy Wilkins could actually take that spot from him. So the idea that you could have a freshman overtake a former starter uh, at left tackle would make you feel pretty good. If, if your former starter is now your backup, I just I think that just speaks to the depth and, and look, Bill Biedenball, it, it's kind of like Lincoln Riley. Like at this point, the reputation speaks for itself. I'll, I'll assume they're going to be a bad offensive line when I see that they're going to be a bad offensive line. Yeah, especially this year. You kind of, you don't have, you don't want to go chalk, so to speak. But when it's this clear cut that they're returning that much, you and with the troubles that we've had this offseason, you do almost want to go chalk in this situation and say, well, th- these guys, they're proven. And like you said, if a freshman's going to beat out a returning starter, they're obviously confident in him. So who are we to, who are we to ever go against Lincoln Riley's decision-making? So, um, okay. So number two, um, I have, I have Texas again, similarly uh, returning, uh, starts is a big part of that. They have Samuel Cosme back. I think it's Cosme Cosme, um, who is a preseason big 12 first team. Uh, I'm not going to try and say names cause I'm going to butcher them. I know Kerstetter is back at center and Angelau, Angelou, I, I don't, Starting left guard, uh, Junior. Can I just call him Junior? Let's just go with that because I, <laughs> I yeah, think Junior works. I think we all know who we're talking about. Uh, he's back. So so your entire left side and your center is back. You're going to have to figure out some things on the right side of the line. But again, if, if returning starts and returning production is a big deal, uh, for me, that's why I have Texas at number two. Plus, again, Cosme is is good. He's he's really good. That's a that's a nice piece to have. So I think if you also have a a singular piece on your line that you know is is really good, I think that also helps elevate your offensive line um, in the rankings. I had Texas at two as well, so I'll jump in in a, in a Panay Sewellless world. Cosme is in the conversation for best left tackle in, com- in college football. Obviously, that's uh we're talking quote. I hate the terms. I'm going to air quote over here. You can't see him. <laughs> you can feel him though. In a generational talent that is Panay Sewell. He's the best left tackle I've ever seen in college football. And this goes as far back as Orlando Pace that I'm talking that I went back and I looked at the higher drafted players overall. Sewell is amazing. So take him out of the equation. And we actually have a discussion for best offensive lineman and best left tackle in football. And Cosme's there. And then you have Kerstetter as well, who played every position but left tackle last year obviously the majority of it at right tackle. So for him to shift inside, uh, that speaks to what they think that they can get out of him, but his positional versatility, just in case something does happen to whatever the right side of their offensive line is this year, Kersetter has that versatility to play guard, play tackle if necessary, and then also kick inside and be an anchor for the offensive line. So that's why, you know, Texas sort of almost encroaches on Oklahoma, in my opinion, just based upon star power and versatility. I, so I'm worried about Texas only from the standpoint of, uh, this is almost superstitious, but Texas had the same starting lineup for 11 of their 12 games. I didn't look at bowl games when I tracked this, but like 11 of their 12 games last season with only one, one game where Kerstetter set out, uh, but well, he played guard. So where Angelau set out. And so that kind of like amazing consistency of all five offensive linemen just makes me nervous 
there is probably some portion of that that is due to the way that they play and what they ask their linemen to do and maybe some some stuff that they're really good at keeping the big guys healthy but that seems highly unlikely in a probabilistic sense that you go through two seasons with that level of consistency um and so I, i'm worried about texas but i think i have to put them at number two only because of who i'll talk about at number three oklahoma state having some some unexpected uh personnel loss i think i had oklahoma state number two until i revisited yesterday and kind of looked and was like man without galloway i just can't justify them being better than this texas line um so yeah, as, as boring as that is to agree again, I think I think currently as it stands, I have Texas uh, number two. Okay, so we've gone chalk thus far. I'm gonna just get my note. Just gonna be let me get my notebook out and just uh, write these down as we go, so that I can uh, put a little something out with it. Everyone has OU number one. This is good radio, isn't it? Everyone has UT number two. All right, so number three, I think this is where <clears throat> we're gonna start to to not just be in complete alignment. Um, number three, I have I have Baylor. Um, I, I had Oklahoma State here, but, and we'll talk a bit about more about this in a minute, um, the guys they have lost this offseason from the offensive line makes me very concerned about the offensive line. Not so much that I, I'm going to drop them down to like the bottom half, but enough that I'm going to go ahead and move Baylor ahead of Oklahoma State here. Uh you get your starting left tackle back. You get your starting right tackle back. Um, you've got two other guys that started last year in, in Xavier Newman-Johnson and Casey Phillips who are back. And based off some of the projections I've seen, they're actually going to end up being backups. Um, I, I know you have issues with a new coaching staff um, across the board trying to and not having a, an offseason to prepare there. But, I mean, Baylor's offensive line was pretty solid last year. I, I feel like they have enough returning and enough experience that – I'm, I feel good putting them at third here uh, instead of Oklahoma State, who I did have. Just, again, because of what's happened to Oklahoma State in the offseason, I think, I think that's a bigger concern. So I've got Baylor at third. And along with just the starters, they've got a lot of guys who started one or two games here or there last season. Um, I think that and got experience. So I do think that plays into it as well. If we know we've got experience that may not all be starting experience, but we have enough depth of experience. I think Baylor should be third. I, so I agree here. I think Baylor at number three, just because of the loss of Galloway at Oklahoma state, you have to bump them out of the top three, even though Tevin Jenkins and we can talk about him is, is solid, but you Baylor, what they do lose. And if you look at where their offensive line been played last year, they played all across the board. I mean, I don't think one guy played, just one position maybe galvin played just left tackle and so for him to return and be that specialized and then newman johnson i believe is kicking inside even further to center so you have somebody that's experienced like him playing center i just think the guys that they do return at the right positions you have bookend tackles with Badir, i believe so the way that they're able to move things and i think if you have experience at correct positions a solid tackle combo and then newman johnson on the inside can make up for whatever we do, we decide they do or decide they do the loss of tecklenburg hurts he was their best player last year on the offensive line hands down but i think the the pieces are are right in in the ways that it's sort of like uh, from the movie 300 you set up you know the perfect sort of formation and one lapse, you know, can hurt you. But I think that having a right tackle, left tackle, and a solid center can make up for some of the losses that, you know, you may see as, as we sort of get a new guard situation in. So, but I think Khalil Keith also played quite a few snaps last year too. So you got, you have the right players coming back at the right positions and in, in solid play. Maybe they struggled a little bit in pass protection, uh, which could help Charlie Brewer out quite a bit. Uh, but I think at this point too, they do run block pretty well. So I think this is a solid all-around unit returning in terms of depth and then at the right places. I hear you both. I'm with you. I'm setting aside my blinding uh, TCU fandom here. And I'm going to make a nuanced point. Baylor's offensive line last year was very bad at times. Not all the way. And they struggled with some injuries. But there were disasters of games for the offensive line. Uh, West Virginia Baylor might have been one of the most agonizing games to watch uh, uh, from an offensive line standpoint on both sides of the ball. And uh, I mean, like Baylor, 103rd in sack rate last year. Uh, their goal line success rate, another way to look at like when it gets to the trenches, how are you doing? 82nd, their stuff rate was 102nd. And so you can look at some of these stats and say like, a lot of their offense last year was Charlie Brewer sacrificing his body to keep extending drives. Uh, and the offensive line really, really struggled. So 
all that to say, I agree they have the foundation. I agree they're piecing that together and there should be some improvement. I think the uncertainty of, again, this crazy offseason plus new coach, plus you expect them to take a step forward, but we really have no evidence that they will leads me to ding them down a little bit. And that's why I think I have Oklahoma State at three, just above, above Baylor there. Um, that's probably a little nuanced uh, and maybe too deep in the weeds, but I think that just the, 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 the troubling depths last year, plus a lot of uncertainty, make me lower on Baylor's line than I am, uh, than I am Oklahoma State's. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, so at fourth, I have Oklahoma State. Um, I, again, I didn't bump them down too far. You do have Tevin Jenkins, return, Jenkins returning. So I understand he's actually going to be on the, the left tackle position uh, this season. You add in Josh Sills from West Virginia, who has started enough games before. He's going to be in at left guard. You've got Rye Schneider at center, who started four games kind of all over the place last season. He's a senior. He's been in the program for a long time. I feel good there. Um, it sounds like... Uh, right tackle will probably be uh, Hunter Anthony, who started uh, started a game at left tackle last season, started three games at right guard. So he's been on that side of the line. He, he's a younger guy, but he's got experience starting. He's got experience playing. And that just leaves one question mark at right guard. Um, it's not as good as it was heading into the year. You lost, obviously, Dylan Galloway, retired due to medical issues. Bryce Bray, who was expected to start, was, was kicked off the team for some really stupid stuff. We'll get into that. Um, but I, I still think it's a it's a good offensive line. I think it's one of the better offensive lines. I don't think it's as good as it was heading into the offseason, but I'm not going to ding them too much, especially with, I think Jenkins is really good. I think he's one of the, the better offensive linemen. I think he's one of the best offensive linemen in the Big 12. Let me just say it. Um, so I have Oklahoma State at fourth. I'm with you there, and I think they're definitely in the their third if Galloway's back, and that not, it doesn't even include Bray as well. That point, obviously, they're gone. Jenkins, though, if you want to watch, like, I think maybe one of the better games in pass protection of last year from a right tackle, cue up the game against Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas. And this guy was as stout as probably anybody in the country. Same against, I think there was, he played both positions, left and right tackle against Iowa State. So watch that. Watch him be able to set his pass pro on both sides. I mean, this guy, for him to shift to left tackle, it seems to be no issue. He's got over 400 snaps, I think at left tackle in his career so far. So I think another year at left tackle for him, and we've seen a guy like Andrew Thomas at Georgia who moved from right tackle to left tackle, and that made him millions and millions of dollars. So let's see. I think Jenkins has that capability of moving himself into first-round NFL draft potential with a successful shift to left tackle in this regard because left tackles are incredibly valuable at the NFL level. And I think at this point, the, the gap at the NFL level in terms of elite left tackle good left tackle and then just salvageable left tackle. I mean, we saw how much money the Bucks gave Donovan Smith this pass off. So, I mean, let's just talk about how much money a good left tackle can make in, in the NFL. And we can see somebody like Tevin Jenkins certainly rise with a good year. And he's very, very capable of that. Um, uh, Cam, this is, this is maybe a, a rabbit hole, but uh, we're here. In your estimation, how much does a mobile quarterback like, is there a general equilibrium effect to Spencer Sanders being elusive that could either, I could see two, two paths. One, it dings him uh, as a left tackle because they're like, oh, well, his quarterback got away from stuff. And so that masked a lot of his deficiencies, or it really helped because he's more able to be more versatile as a, as a tackle. Like, how do you think Spencer Sanders as, a, as his quarterback and shifting positions kind of plays into all that? I would, I would assume it helps the bottom line, the bottom stat line, but I think for the most part, any I don't want to call him good, but any good evaluator, any good scouting department is going to have your wins and losses for a left tackle, regardless of the quarterback play. You know, there's, there's moments in time where uh, it can look like a tackle is giving up a sack because a quarterback moves off his spot and backs up too far in the pocket. And you can clearly see it's the quarterback's fault. So going back to my days of grading tackles and often every player, there are multiple times where a guy looks like he's giving up a sack, but he's not. Like as long as he steps up, does his normal, you know, maintains his presence in the pocket and actually steps up as opposed to using mobility to sort of evade pressure. You know, I think as long as that happens, but I think either way, if Jenkins can secure his edge and keep uh, defensive ends from, you know, sort of using their bend around him, I think he's got everything that you would want. So I think honestly, it, it doesn't really, it shouldn't change too much from a scouting perspective because they're going to have wins and losses for left tackle, right tackle, uh, sort of independent of what the quarterback does. 
Definitely. And, and I think that's, it's, it, it's interesting in the same way that like Chuba Hubbard has an amazing setup because he's got a really good offensive line and he's got a really good, uh, potentially really good quarterback and some, and some wide receiver threats to like be used really well and maximize his value. I almost feel like Jenkins in the exact inverse kind of mirror way is set up to, to really increase his draft capital just because they're going to have a robust rushing game. Gundy knows how to maximize a passer, even if, even if Sanders struggles. Um, and so he has, he's very, very talented. I also think he has a really, really good situation, uh, especially switching positions. Yeah, I would agree there. And he's also going to have a bunch of eyes on him at however many games we get in this season, because let's face it, you're not not seeing Hubbard play if you can as a scouting department. And if you're doing things right, you're you're looking at Sanders for the future too. So I think that Jenkins is going to have a lot of eyes on him as well. So I think a successful year and we're going to see, you know, if he plays up to what I think he can play and how he played last year, this is a guy who, who garners first round or day one, day two sort of NFL draft talk through the season. So Parker, who do you who do you have after all that at a, at a fourth? Um, great. Sorry, the dog is barking there. Uh, who knows what the squirrels are doing outside? So fourth, I think, is where we go to a huge drop off. I think they're clearly a top four. Often, like the Big Twelve, just in general, there are four quality teams, and then the rest is you know pretty crazy. Um, so who knows what's going to happen? I could talk myself into any number of. Oh, well, I guess here we're at, ba- I'm at Baylor. I just had Baylor and Oklahoma State switched. I think I have Baylor as next. I want to talk myself into TCU um, there, but I think that's probably not being fair and taking too big of a leap. So I'm, I'm just, I think I just have Oklahoma State and Baylor flipped from y'all and I have Baylor fourth. Okay. Uh, well, in that case, uh, so we go to, go to number five and I really struggled here. Um, cause I agree. This is the point where I just, I just wasn't entirely sure. And you look at returning production and you look at kind of reputation as what you've seen thus far from, from offensive lines. And I've seen a lot of people who have Iowa state's offensive line fairly high, but I just, at this point, we've had Matt Campbell in Ames enough long enough, and they have yet to have what I think is a really good offensive line for me to want to put them that high. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do one. I'm not entirely sure I believe it, but if I have to to tie in and pick one, I'm actually going to go with West Virginia here. Um, I I kind of like what they have, have coming back. You've got your starting center, uh, which is Bernard. You've got a right guard coming back. You've got a backup center uh, in Brayson Mays, who's, who's started games. I just, I know that West Virginia's offensive line was okay last year. I think they can take a leap this year. I, I do. Um, I'm going to, um, and again, I think the difference between like five through eight is all pretty negligible. I'm going to go ahead and put West Virginia here at, at fifth for me. I don't hate that. I think I could talk myself into that. Um, I just think they lose their, their two biggest consists like their two biggest consistent players in McKivitz and Wickline, they lose. And the rest of it was a little bit of like a revolving door um, in the, in the interior. So like replacing two tackles just makes me not all offensive line starts are created equal, as I like to say. Uh, And so that's the thing that gives me hesitation. Look, I'm a Neil Brown believer under normal circumstances and off season. I think I could talk myself into West Virginia. I think that West Virginia has the ceiling to be in the top half. I do not think I would pick them to be in the top half. Um, And so I think I'm actually, uh, I think I'm actually talking myself into TCU at number five um, simply because they, they, when, when McKinney last year got hurt, TCU was a disaster. They had something like 14 QB hits a game and then McKinney got hurt and it was like 28 in the last half of the season uh, after the Texas game. So just a complete failure. Um, and some guys who really like should not have been starting had to start which is unfortunate. I hate to say that about a college athlete, but like that was just where they were. Um, TCU is going to have three, uh, three juniors, uh, a senior guard, uh, Austin Myers, who's, I think he's a redshirt junior, who, who's a four-star, uh, or that's junior Wes Harris, and then uh, Austin Myers. And then they have two transfers, TJ Stormont and then Brandon Coleman, who, who is pretty good out of JUCO. Um, and so I think TCU's offensive line is actually going to turn into one of the more experienced or prove one of the more experienced lines just because replacing McKinney is so hard, but the rest of the line is, is some of these guys like Wes Harris and Austin Myers have been waiting to start and developing. And this was, this was the plan all along was for them to start this year. Um, and so I think TCU's offensive line is going to be 
one of the more cohesive if they can, if they can stay healthy um, and, and should, be, should be pretty good. That being said, we know about the Max Duggan news. Who knows what the TCU offense is going to look like? Who knows what their offensive line is going to be asked to do? So it could end up being really bad because TCU's offense is just really bad. But I think ex-ante, pretending that the quarterback issue isn't there, just talent, I think TCU's offensive line is there for number five. Again, knowing that five through eight is, you know, dealer's choice there. Our first consensus difference, because I have Texas Tech at number five. And I think that this one mainly relies on Dawson Deaton at center. It also relies on Jack Anderson coming back healthy because this is a guy who had almost 2,000 snaps for his first two seasons and then only played. I think with those three players returning on your interior, and then you have, I believe it's Casey Verhurst on the outside as well with a few snaps and some versatility as well. So I like what they have. I also just, I mean, how do you not love a Matt Wells scheme that is just absolutely brilliant for offensive linemen to have great success with? So anytime you're getting the ball out quick and you have Alan Bowman, who was a much, I liked Jet Duffy, but I love Alan Bowman. So I think Alan Bowman is just a tailor fit made quarterback for an area system. So you have this guy who knows and he's got another year sort of studying and not able to do much else. So he studies. And I think that this is, this is a very good system that's very friendly to offensive linemen. So you have three interior guys that can come back the way that they are with the experience. I like what Texas Tech bring, brings at number five. And they could, with some solid tackle play, even sort of, I think, be the team that can rock it up a little bit more so just based upon what we've seen from the guys previously. That's, that's so interesting to me too because – Alan Bowman and the offensive line at Texas Tech are like chicken and the egg. Like if Alan Bowman stays healthy, then the offense will be good and the offensive line will be good. But if the offensive line has to be good to keep Alan Bowman healthy. So this is like this kind of circular sort of deal there because, you know, Bowen, Bowen struggled to, to play a whole season the last couple of years. But I, I, agree with the, I agree with the ceiling there for sure on Texas Tech. Uh, yeah, actually, um, that's who I have at six, this Texas Tech. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons you just mentioned, Cam, you've got your entire interior returning. Um, Verholst, who has started games at right tackle, um, is coming in. And then you're, the two guys kind of battling for that left tackle, starting uh, Josh Berger and Zach Adams are both seniors, so they've, they've been in the program for a while. Um, I, I agree, and I agree. I think everyone's like, we all love Bowman. Everyone who's watched him play knows what his ceiling is, and if he could stay healthy, it would be awesome. It's very much a, I'll believe it, He'll bank it through his season when I see it, but I think this is a good offensive line. I have, I, I again, I, I, yeah, I have him at sixth. That's that's the best I can do. <laughs> Fair enough. I think six for me is TCU. So sort of alternating kind of where we're all at. I I like TCU. I don't uh, honestly. This is made even with the next Duggan news. My ranking is made even with the Duggan news in hand, and uh, assuming Downing is the quarterback going forward seeing what I see from Downing and saying that his style of play won't wow you on a stopwatch or with uh, distance throws, but he plays like Baker Mayfield sort of has me a little wary that this team may go downhill if there's not good offensive line uh, in front of him. So I like Myers being able to sort of have, again, positional versatility is so big for me because college football, especially you don't have the depth or the money behind depth at the offensive line like the NFL does. So a guy that can play multiple positions on your offensive line, in the college level is so important to me. So I think I, I kind of like McMillan and, and Myers returning, but I, I think this team may struggle this year. I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt for a Gary Patterson coached offensive line uh, and quarterback situation to, to be this high for me, be at six at least any further. Number six for me then becomes, I'm trying to keep, I, I, I'm trying to keep mine in order. Uh, uh, but number six for me then becomes, uh, I, have, I have Texas Tech there. Um, I do, I like Deaton a lot. I think they have a lot of snaps. Um, they also have a transfer just, in, you know, it's from FCS, but like depth is depth. And so I really like uh, Texas Tech there. Again, this like five, five through eight, I, you could invert the exact list I had and I would agree with you. So like, I don't have a strong opinion about that. This is kind of, I mean, I feel the same way about because my the five through eight is you know TCU Tech West Virginia ISU in any in any order and I feel the same about those teams as I do their offensive lines like if they were good at the end of the year I wouldn't be dumbfounded or bewildered but I don't know I don't know that I have a strong opinion about which one of those is going to be good um, other than I think TCU will be cogent and that's number five and I think Tech probably has the most experience out of the next to those um, they're technically bringing back. Uh, over 60% of their starts. Um, if you count the, I don't know if we should account the transfer from Wofford because I don't think he's going to actually like play, but 
they have 63% of their starts, which would be third most raw total. Um, and so I like, I like Texas Tech's continuity there, and that's why I have them sixth. All right. Uh, so seventh. I, I really do go back and forth between Iowa State and TCU. Um, and, I, and I was going to go with Iowa State, but I, I think you guys have convinced me to flip them. Uh, or at least Parker has. So I'm going to run with TCU here. I, look, the more you look at it, the more guys who have starting experience, it may not be for a full season, but it's a lot of guys who have played, who have been asked to start before. Um, obviously, there's the questions and the issues at quarterback you have to deal with at TCU. But, man, um, I I like, again, we're, we're I'm penny-pinching here when I'm trying to determine between Iowa State and TCU. I like, I think, what TCU has coming back, now that you guys are talking about it, a little bit more than I like Iowa State has, so I'll, I'll go with TCU here at, uh, at seven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break rank here, and I'm going to throw the Jayhawks at number seven. No, because, talk me into that. What? Just because of what I keep saying, positional versatility, Malik Clark comes back at left guard. So that's you have one starter back, and I think if, if you're looking at, again, we I don't like to go full chalk. Clark was great in pass protection last year. Maybe struggled a little bit against the run and with penalties, but Clark was great in pass protection, and then you have a couple of guys, Maine and Lee, who both played multiple positions and they should just assume the starting roles at center and right guard. So you have a solid guys and, and Maine had 338 and Lopetti had over 340 snaps. So I don't know where, where those rank in terms of starts, but you look at, they had eight guys, nine guys, eight, eight guys on the offensive line that played in all 12 games for them last year. So they obviously rotated their games or their players around in each game, sort of figuring out what they, what they have and what they like going forward. Not a lot of great production, but I do think in terms of if you have players that know a system and if Les Miles is, is happy with you and they're gonna and you're gonna start on the interior of a Les Miles offensive line, then this is another way who again again, like I said about Lincoln Riley, who are we to go against Les Miles and his decision making? So if he likes what he likes, and those are the three guys that line up on the interior, I don't care who you got at tackle right there because he'll have, a, again, figured that out or gone with the best that they can get. So I like the three guys coming back in terms of versatility, but also amount of snaps and amount of snaps played in a less miles offense for the Jayhawks at seven. I am not that optimistic about the Kansas line. I think at seventh, I put West Virginia over Iowa State simply because I think Iowa State was very bad last year. Um, Iowa State, I can just just three numbers right here. Opportunity rate, 65th. Power success rate, 93rd. Stuff rate, 103rd. So all three of those are, you know, again, data is not perfect uh, for, for measuring offensive line. But in, in, in some of these, like, measures we have about offensive linemen, uh, man, it just did not look like they were getting, getting the consistent offensive push that they needed. Um, and so they're also turning over the run game. Uh, and, like, I like Purdy a lot, but I think that Purdy covers for offensive line play with how, how versatile he is when he has, you know, two ankles. Um, and can run. So I think talent-wise, uh, I, I prioritize West Virginia at seventh and Iowa State than at, than at eighth. Uh, but again, it's all a traffic jam up there. Okay, so eighth. Um, yeah, since I flip-flopped them, I've got Iowa State here. I just, I'm sorry. I don't trust Iowa State offensive lines. They have They have yet to have a really good offensive line. I mean, I just went brain dead on the uh, the running back, not Brees Hall, the guy who was awesome. David Montgomery. Drafted, like, thank you. Like, we all praised the fact of all of his yards after tackle. Like, the the fact that he had to, like, lead the country in yards after tackle when he was getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage so often because their offensive line is always so bad. Like, I almost hate putting Iowa State this high. It's just because I can't, I do not share your, your thoughts on Kansas, and I think we're all <laughs> probably going to have the last or the same 10th place team. So just out of process of elimination, I'll have Iowa State here. I mean, it's good that they have Trevor Downing back. Um, Colin Newell started a game at center, and he's expected to be the starter at center this year. That's great. But they lost so many seniors off of last year's team. I mean, I, and it wasn't a great offensive line. I just don't have a lot of faith in Iowa State here. I, I would almost say five, six, seven is closer. And I know I have eight close, but the more and more I think about it, the more and more I talk about it, like I actually think West Virginia Tech's Tech and TCU might be a step above what I should expect from Iowa State. And part of it's just, I just don't, it's again, it's kind of like the reverse of Oklahoma. Like I'll believe you have a good God offensive line when you show me you have a good offensive line. So I, I'm going to have them here at eight. Look at, I have Iowa State at 10. So that's where, that's where Ooh. we're at. Show me a great Matt Campbell offensive line from his days back at Toledo. 
Kareem Hunt did the same thing. He had to break as many tackles as possible and leave the country in yards after contact because he was constantly hit in the backfield. Montgomery was the same way. Brees Hall, look what happens to him. He, they have to get him in the short passing game to get him space for the most part at this point, which he's awesome at, obviously. Watch the one-hander. I love that. And if you know me, and if you have seen my Twitter, even in the past week, you know that I'm probably the biggest Brock Purdy fan. I'm going to go in the country, not just a name. I, I think he has every tool any quarterback you could ever draw up has. I think with a proper system in a five-star offense like in Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson, this guy is the best quarterback in the country. I would almost take him over Lawrence or Fields. So don't quote me on that. I, I, I almost would. I think that he could be QB1 with the right situation. He's just never had a good offensive line in two years now. We're going into year three. The four loss of star, losing four starters and who I think are projected to be the new four starters outside of Downing have combined last year for 178 snaps. So again, prove me wrong. Same, same reason you're saying that we talked about Lincoln Riley and a great offensive line they, they have, they keep putting out until Matt Campbell makes a great offensive line. I'm going to go with them not being very good. And especially when you're turning over four of five positions, that's quite a large percentage. Even if you don't know Matt, that's a lot of production to replace and even if you're not replacing great players at that point, too, good Jones was great at left tackle for him last year. But other than that, I mean, they, they sort of struggled. So give Purdy some help and let him skyrocket the draft boards and overtake some of these higher mentioned guys. So so you have Iowa State 10th. Uh, Cam, who's your who's your number eight there? Eight is West Virginia. And then by process of elimination, I'm there stuck with Kansas State at nine. I feel weird about Kansas State so low just because, like, tradition and their scheme really – and, and, and development and like Josh Rivas or Rivas is, is really, really good offensive lineman, but there's bringing no, like literally no starters. They have to replace all this volume. And you look at the disruption of the off season. It like feels almost bad to say Kansas state's going to have the ninth best offensive line in the big 12. But I, I just don't know that we, you can come to any other conclusion given the circumstances that we have right now. Yeah. I, I feel bad and I like Rivas, but, I think he even he was only a spotty player across the entire season, if memory serves. He didn't actually – he didn't play the majority of every single game. So I think he was their best offensive lineman last year. And honestly, I had – they were the highest-ranked Big 12 offensive line in my – that was only returning a guy who didn't necessarily even play the majority of your games. That's why I had them so low. And honestly, it was a discussion between – Kansas State and Iowa State, but for those reasons you just mentioned, Parker, the, the scheme and the, the history of Kansas State, I give them the edge over Iowa State because I'll trust them to be able to fill uh, some some a little bit better in terms of returning production than Iowa State. So I have Kansas State last, but my one counter to all this is we keep talking about the tradition they have at offensive line, but that's that's from Charlie Dickey being the offensive line coach for years and, and doing a great job developing guys. And this is not a shot at Connor Riley, who's the offensive line coach now, but, and I think he's a really good coach, but I, I we get to the like, okay, I can't give this new coaching staff credit for what was done before. I know that it was a really good, it was a good offensive line last year, but now we have to actually see how well this coaching staff can develop a bunch of guys who just don't have the reps and don't have, have the starts. I'm, I put them at 10, I think almost, because I want to give them a credit from years past. If this was if this was still like Charlie Dickey running the offensive line, the the reputation is there. I would not even I would move them up. Um, but that reputation can't be given to this coaching staff and this team from years past from different guys. So I just there's too many questions, and it's not that I think they may not be bad. They may not be the tenth place offensive line at the end of the season. But it's there's just too many questions to be able to put them any higher than there. I, I agree with you. There's That's kind of where I waffled with them back and forth. And I will say, though, I think if you want to look at somebody that I think could be a very, very good player for them down the road is Cooper Beebe, the kid from Kansas City. I scouted his brother, Colton, in high school and then watched him. And I wound up meeting and talking to their family and their dad who played college football as well. And Colton went on to play at Minnesota. So I think Cooper has a chance to be one of those, the next sort of big thing on the inside of the offensive line. So if you have Beebe, uh, and Rivas on the inside. I think that's a that's a solid foundation just based upon pedigree, perhaps, and, and hoping that this is can can translate. But I think I agree too as well. If you look, this will be completely different by the end of the year. And that's not because we're morbidly wrong in preseason. It's just because this is all we have to go on. So I think a lot of these guys are so unproven at Kansas State that 
this is a team that obviously I think has the biggest chance to probably rock it up from ninth or 10th or wherever we have them down here into sort of the top half as well. So, yeah, so obviously, uh, Cam, your 8, 9, 10 is West Virginia, Kansas State, Iowa State. I have Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State. Uh, so, Parker, let's wrap this up. What do you what do you have at 8, 9, 10? So, my 8, 9, 10 is uh, ISU, KSU, and then KU down at the bottom. Um, again, I think, I think Kansas State's super weird because they're probably the lowest mean but the highest variance in terms of, like, their range of potential outcomes. So I think that they have a ceiling that West Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas, maybe even Texas Tech, TCU don't have of the bottom, you know, six teams. But I don't know, like, say they'll get there. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Kansas is just at the bottom of, like, bad offense. You might have some guys that can play, but I'm just not sure how, how talented that's really going to be right now. Um, so I, I think the I think I think if I was splitting the Big Twelve, I'd kind of have my top four, my middle four, and then the bottom the bottom two or three. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't see can the, the the Kansas offensive line being anything to write home about, um, especially with like their quarterback uncertainty and and all that. So so who who knows what they could actually be? I don't think I have an opinion about how good they could be or what their ceiling is. I'm just not expecting a lot from them at all. All right. Uh, this has been a ton of fun. I appreciate you guys joining us today to talk offensive lines, which just feels a little bit nerdy, but I'm okay with it. Um, you guys are both awesome. I love the work you both do. Uh, Cam, do me a favor for everybody who wants to check out the work that you do now. Uh, where can they do so? Yeah. Easiest way for national college football coverage is on Twitter and it's at Cam Meller in C-A-M-M-E-L-L-O-R or over at SB Nation. So I'll be at SBNation.com through the college football season, sort of discussing college football. And then, uh, you know, main focus for SB Nation was covering the Pac-12, but obviously that has now shifted. And so I'm moving to more of a national coverage. So SBNation.com uh, and then just on Twitter, probably the easiest way to find out where everything else is. Uh, Parker, Mr. Stats of War himself, uh, where can everybody check out the work you do? Yeah, so uh, at Stats of War on Twitter is where I post graphs and make jokes about TCU. Uh, and then and I have a newsletter, Purple Theory, uh, the associated podcast is where I do more of my long form stuff. And then uh, this fall, starting starting week one of games, I'll actually be doing a Monday column for Football Outsiders. So um, you can, you know, I'll link to it on Twitter, but it'll be up, uh, it'll be up on Football Outsiders every Monday morning as well. Um, so that's something to look forward to this off season. Can I just say that the uh, the fake. The, the attempt to slander at Chuba it did not pass me by there, even though it was like a fake compliment that you gave him on the show. That was a, I, I don't know. Well, Can you go through a Philip, podcast forget, without I'm complaining very, I'm about very Chuba? Southern. Well, sure, sure, sure. But can I'm you go southern, through right. anything that was a bit without bit knocking your, That's a little bit of bless your heart. I mean, it's just kind of like. Um, I didn't did, knock did you, him. Are you just that? Are you just I that said he was situated well to succeed. <laughs> I'm only upset about John Stevens Jr. in the TCU Oklahoma State game, but that's probably two in the weeds for Cam. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys have been awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, everybody listening, go follow both guys. It is absolutely worth your time to do so. You will, uh, you will, you will thank me after you do. Uh, and guys, I, uh, we'll try and get you back on again once the season starts uh, and find something else really nerdy to dive into and talk about. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Philip. Always fun. Podcast Network.